Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. Such good stuff brought together to live this life of increasing holiness, putting off things that are not like Christ and putting on those character traits that are Christ-like. And that should impact our home and it should impact our inside and outside faith. The, the life that we lead on the quiet inside and the life that we lead on the loud and boisterous outside for some of us. Some of us are maybe not quite so boisterous, but, but that we are supposed to have a life that, that is impacted by our faith in Jesus Christ, by our status as citizens of the kingdom of the Son. It should change how we live. And, and, and last week we talked about prayer. So here in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 6, we're going to see this, this full inside out life expressed again. So just just take a look with me, if you will, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And last week we looked at just verse 2 and got a whole sermon out of just verse 2, but it reminded us, in fact, not just reminded us, but commanded us to devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for us, uh, to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. So we see in just these, these uh, few verses here, these five verses that we read, that, that we have this, this command to live a life that is both inside an internal life of prayer, one in which we are constantly devoting ourselves to prayer, that, that we are constantly praying. And that, that word devote is a command, not a suggestion. You know, if you'd like life to be better, devote yourself to prayer, not a, a, an optional thing, not an add-on to the Christian life, but this is the Christian life. Pray, devote yourself to it. Pray constantly, stay alert in it. Practice Thanksgiving, and we talked about that last week. If you missed that, then, well, go back and watch last week's sermon or listen to the podcast that will get uploaded later today. But, but then Paul, in, in writing this letter inspired by the Holy Spirit for this church and for us, says this about prayer. At the same time, as you are entering into a devoted lifestyle of prayer, staying alert in prayer, being full of thanksgiving, I want you to do this. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. And, and so Paul begins to make the shift that our, our Christian life should be such that we are impacted internally. We have an internal life of prayer. But then that internal life of prayer should have an impact on the world around us. And it begins to, to move from just a, a life of contemplation and prayer to a life of evangelism, praying for others as they seek to evangelize and share the gospel in the world. And so this is what Paul says, that when you're praying at the same time, pray for me, 
Pray for the team that's with me, that God may open a door for us for the word, or a door to us for the word, that, that he is, is helping us to understand that prayer is the beginning point of changing the world with the gospel, that, that we need open doors as we go out to speak the word. Now, this is not a, a new concept in, in this letter. Paul actually talks about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8 and 9, he says this, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, because a wide door for effective ministry has opened for me, yet many oppose me. He sees that in Ephesus, in this experience, there's a moment where God has opened a big, wide barn door for ministry. And that it was God's hand that made this happen. And so he needs to take advantage of it. Second Corinthians, his second letter to the church in Corinth, he writes this, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though the Lord, even though the Lord opened a door for me, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find my brother Titus. Instead, I said goodbye to them and left for Macedonia. You see, there's this, this clear thing that we can pray for open doors, but we can also leave them open and walk away. So these open doors must be addressed. They've got to be dealt with. They've got to be taken advantage of. Because Paul tells then the Corinthian church in his, earlier in his letter to them in 1 Corinthians that, that they need to understand something. It is God that does the work of opening people's hearts. It is God that does the work of converting people, but we still must be faithful when he opens the door, when he provides a means and an opportunity to step through, to go, to do. But also understand that it's neither the one who plants the gospel nor the one who waters the gospel with a continuing witness, but only God who gives the growth. You see, some of us, when we talk about evangelism, we put all this pressure on ourselves that Okay, there's an open door, and I've got to step through it. And guess what I have to do today? Because today is the day of salvation, and, and I know they're going to hell. If I don't save them, I've got to save them. I've got to convince them. I've got to, like, beat them upside the head. In fact, the bigger Bible that I can find to beat them with, the better, right? Some of you need to get study Bibles to get your friends into the gospel so that you can hit them with it. Um, no, this is, this is not. We put pressures on ourselves that it is our job to save people to convince people but god's word tells us we are supposed to pray for open doors step through them take advantage of the opportunities that god has given to us but also recognize that we might not lead someone to christ when we step through the door we might not have the opportunity to see them saved that day but we will play a part in their salvation journey we might plant a seed that is the gospel itself. For the first time, someone might hear the gospel, and you will be the one that plants that seed in their life, and it begins to, to dig in deep into their heart and sprout, and it, it needs people to water it, to witness to the, the truth of the gospel and the efficacy of the salvation of Christ. And then ultimately, it will spring forth, and it will blossom up into a, a, a harvest that comes from God and God alone. You had a part in it. But it's God who did the actual work. And so effective evangelism, and, and, and this is something for us to, to just kind of plant our flag in, to rest in, but also to be encouraged by, effective evangelism begins in God's plans and works, and it uses the tool of prayer. We need to pray for opportunities to evangelize. We need to pray for open doors. We need to pray for the people 
that we want to evangelize, that God would open their hearts and open their eyes. Now, we still must be faithful to do what? Share the gospel, plant the seeds, water the seeds, but trust that God is the one who will give the harvest in his timing. And that's really what, what Paul is asking the church to pray for here. He says, I want you to pray that God would open a door to us for the word, that God would begin the work in people's hearts to speak the mystery of Christ. Now, if you remember, in this letter to the church in Colossae, Paul is trying to confront false teachers, Gnostics, the beginnings of Gnosticism, in, in which they are taking and, and looking at the Bible and looking at the gospel and saying, yeah, that's good, but guess what? I've got a secret knowledge. I've got a mystery you don't have. I know a little bit more than you do. So just send in your seed and I'll, you know, you'll be blessed a thousandfold. Uh, sounds like TBN, doesn't it, all of a sudden? Uh, so, that's right, every once in a while I'm going to call out in a joke some false teachers. But uh, we want to realize that, that there is no mystery in the gospel left. Why is that? Because God has spoken it clearly. There's no secrets, there's no, there's no eh, you know, only the elite few actually know the way to salvation. But Paul says, I and you, we all have the privilege to speak out this mystery. There's no, no secret knowledge, no Gnosticism, no elites in faith. Instead, everyone has access to God through Christ Jesus. And he explains it this way. He says, I am in chains for this. So Paul is clearly in, uh, under house arrest, at least maybe even in the dungeons, in chains for the sake of the gospel. What, what's interesting, he's in captivity for preaching the gospel. And what does he want to do? Preach the gospel. He's sitting here in chains. He is bound because of standing up for Jesus Christ. And his, his request to the church is, pray for me that I can share Jesus more. Pray for me that here I sit, as I sit in prison, as I sit in chains, that God would open doors and opportunities for me to share the gospel. Most of us were just like, yeah, I mean, God, open doors for me to share the gospel. But please don't make it too inconvenient. Don't, don't make me sweat. Or don't, don't make it, you know, embarrassing. Oh, what, don't make it to where they don't like me anymore. And, and, and we, I think we struggle with this, don't we? And, and I make light of it, but guess what? Uh, I am the chief of sinners. I'm the one that struggles as much as you, if not more. And, and so I understand that it, this is not about condemnation, but instead about encouragement. If Paul, sitting in prison for the sake of the gospel, can say, all I want to do is share the gospel, can't we who walk around in freedom... And provision, be inspired to share the gospel. In fact, he says, not only do I want to, but I need to make it known as I should. That, that pray that I can, I'll do it like I'm supposed to. And, and how do we know we're supposed to share the gospel? How do we know we're supposed to be preaching? Well, Paul hinges it on, of course, this command from Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have been clearly commanded, all of us believers, to go out and make disciples. And the first, the first step in making a disciple is sharing the gospel. And then receiving the good news of Jesus Christ. And then becoming a follower of Jesus. And so implicit in this command to go and make disciples is go and share the gospel. 
Because without the gospel, there are no disciples. So we are supposed to. This is something we should do. We have this command. And, and Paul, he, he, he talks about it in Romans chapter 10. He says, uh, the, the importance of going out and proclaiming the mystery of Christ Jesus, to go out and preach the good news. Here's what he says. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? He's just finished telling us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. But how can they call on him if they don't believe in him? And how can they believe in him without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher. And some of you go, well, that's why I give money to the church so they can hire a preacher and he can do the work. But Paul is actually talking about all of us preaching the gospel in every circumstance. We're all supposed to be going out and proclaiming. That's what the word preacher really is, is a preacher is not a job as much as it is a description of someone who proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we're all supposed to be proclaimers because people can't believe in the one they've never heard of. And so we ought to go out and tell them about Jesus because without that, they won't be able to be saved. Uh, verse 17, he says this, So faith, the, the, the belief on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. And the implication, of course, in that is the message comes from the messengers. And who are the messengers? Us. All of us. Everyone who is a believer is the, a messenger for Christ Jesus. And Paul says, pray for me that I will do this like I ought to. 1 Corinthians 1.21, he says this uh, about preaching. He says, since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom... God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. Salvation comes from proclamation. And we might go, yeah, but preaching is such an ineffective way of sharing the gospel. Or going out and, and, and telling people about Jesus, that's just so ineffective. Maybe if we were just really nice to them, we could convince them to slowly stroll into the kingdom of God with us, right? Maybe, maybe if we worried about these other things and and the Bible really says, listen, the other things are after salvation. But what matters first is proclaim the word that people might be saved. And it may seem like foolishness. It may seem like it, it doesn't make sense. It may seem ineffective. But God will use preaching. God will use proclamation. God will use messengers like all of us if we faithfully share the message to bring others to salvation. Here's, here's a what the Apostle Paul says about his own call to preaching, his own call to proclamation. He says this, I am obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He says, it's not just that I want to preach the gospel, but I am obligated by my relationship with the Savior and the call on my life. And that's true for, for Paul, but it's also true for everyone who comes after him. Because he, he says to his protege, Timothy, and to all of us, preach the word. Declare Jesus as Christ. Proclaim the truth. All of us. Not just some of us, not just the, the, the ones who speak well, 
but all of us in our own way, in our own means, to preach the word. And, and not just to do it when it's easy, and not just to do it when it's convenient, but he says this, be ready in season and out of season. Now, in season and out of season? Yeah, you, you know, like, right, you, you used to be you couldn't get certain fruits all year long, right? Why? Because, well, it wasn't the season for them. Nowadays, what do we do? We ship them from the other hemisphere of the world, the southern hemisphere, in the middle of the winter because it's summer there, and so we can have fruit all year long. So we, we kind of lose some of the consequence of seasons, don't we? But, but in this day, he's saying sometimes it feels really fruitful and sometimes it feels empty. Sometimes it feels like the easy thing to do and sometimes it, sometimes it feels like the impossible thing to do. But no matter what, whatever season it is, whether it feels fruitful or unfruitful, easy or difficult, to preach the word, to proclaim Jesus as your Savior. Now, you could go all the way, go downtown Pittsburgh and start doing some street preaching. I'm sure the Jehovah's Witnesses would love your company down there, right? But it doesn't take that. Understand, it can be just in your everyday walking, talking, living life to preach the good news of the gospel, especially to the, peoples who are peoples, to the people who are closest to us. It says to do this, to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. And so we all, with the Apostle Paul, should be praying not just for others, but for ourselves and one another, that God would open a door to us for the word, that we can speak the mystery of Christ. And, and actually, we're in great freedom compared to Paul, but we are called to make it known just like we should and like he should and like he was supposed to. And so understand what, what we're supposed to be doing is faithfully sharing the gospel. And he's made this move from the interior life of prayer to want to pray for sharing the gospel. And now in verse 5, he's going to show us how we share the gospel. How we speak and preach God's truth in every circumstance. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. So when, when we see what he says here, he says, act wisely. It, it literally means to walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Now, we, we, if we look back in Colossians, and, and, and we were to remember some of the things that we've been taught, who is wisdom? Who is the wisdom of God? Who is the great knowledge? Who is the one that, that has all of the answers? Who is wisdom? Jesus himself. Live a life dedicated to Christ. Walk in wisdom. Act wisely. Look like Jesus as you walk through your life. Not look like who you want to be, like the world tells you to be, but look like you've been made to be, recreated to be, a new creation to be. Look like Jesus. And who are you supposed to look like Jesus to? Well, we do know that we should be Christ-like towards other believers. He's already given us some, some clear commands about that. But when we're talking about our lifestyle, act wisely toward outsiders. Now, who are outsiders? And it's, you might have different definitions of outsiders. If you grew up in a, in a strong ethnic household, 
It's anybody who's not of your ethnicity. They're outsiders, right? They don't, they don't eat the same things. They don't talk the same way. They don't have the same slang. For some of you, you've been lifelong Pittsburghers, Yinzers. There we go. That's the word I wanted, right? Yeah, and somebody with a southern draw, they're clearly an outsider. Um, Shelly, my beloved wife, who's on mission trip with the youth this week, so continue to pray for them. But she, she has a little bit of a draw. Have you noticed that? And if she gets really comfortable, she'll, it gets even worse. And I hope she's not watching right now, but if she is for some reason, I'm going to tell you, you can, you can, it's, it's, no, I shouldn't, but she, she stretches her long eyes, pie, and nine, and five, and, 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 if she's, especially if she's comfortable with you, she'll do it, and, and you'll just be like, southern, oh my goodness, and, and that's how you know if she really likes you, because she'll, she'll let her accent out, so that's the test, there you go, I've given away all her secrets now. Um, sometimes I have an accent, but it's only when I really get to preaching and forget to not have an accent. Um, anyway, all that t- to say, uh, Shelly, every time she goes somewhere around here, it seems that someone asks her, where are you from? Like there's something wrong with her. Like the cashier at Giant Eagle has asked her, where are you from? What's wrong? Because of her pie and nine and five and 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 but, but the, what are outsiders? We, we, we have these definitions of what an outsider is, really. Well, Scripture tells us here that what we're talking about when we're talking about outsiders is anybody who doesn't live in the kingdom of the Son. Those who are outside the family of God. And we would think it should be like, cut them off, keep them out, ignore them, keep away from them. They're terrible, horrible, terrible, disgusting, unsaved, unregenerate, unwashed, barbaric people. That's maybe what we would think God's word would say to us, right? But no, it says, live wisely, walk wisely, walk in wisdom, be Jesus toward outsiders. Look like Jesus to those who are not in the kingdom. And and we can see this reflected throughout Scripture where we are called to be ambassadors. We are called to be representatives. We are called to be followers who look like our master. That everyone, when they look at us, should see in us Christ-likeness. Now, nobody here is under the impression that we should be turning water into wine or walking on water or raising people from the dead. That's not what we're talking about. But when we're talking about Christ-likeness, it is those, those characteristics that are, are like innate to the person of Christ and, and are expressed in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 that those are the things that outsiders should be seeing in us. And when they see it in us, their first question will be, what's wrong with you? And like, I, I'm, I'm like infected with Jesus. I'm, I'm, I, and I'm contagious, so watch it. Right? That, that, that there is, what is different about us, what is unique about us is that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And we're supposed to be living in such a way that people can see it. The greatest compliment an unsafe person can, can, can give you is the compliment of, are you a Christian? Yes, I am. Thanks for noticing. I'm not very good at it some days. Every once in a while the words slip. Every once in a while I get angry when I shouldn't. But yes, I am. Thanks for noticing. Would you like to know more? Would you like to know about my Jesus? Would you like to know about why I'm a Christian? They should see it in us. 
We should be praying for opportunities, and then they should see Jesus in us. And then he says this too, making the most of the time. Making the most of the time. It literally means back, or it literally means to buy up the time. Like you see that there's time, and you should be intentionally making moves to redeem the time, to grab the time up and make the most of it with your unsaved friends and relatives. <laughs> that was like an amen from the foyer, but I don't think it was intended like that. But that's the truth, is you are supposed to, we are supposed to be taking the time that we have and not allowing it to just waste away willy-nilly, but to intentionally buy it up, grab a hold of it, and seek to share the gospel with the people who are unsaved in our lives. Make wise choices. Walk as Jesus. Look like him to the unsaved in your life. And try and grab a hold of every opportunity you have to talk about your Jesus. He goes on to say this in verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should answer each person. Now, some of us, we just get kind of a, a diarrhea of the mouth. It just, things just flow, and we don't even pay attention to what comes out. Have, have you ever had this, this thing where you get angry, and you just flow? You get upset, and you just flow. You get around people who are your good friends. You get relaxed, and you just flow. Anybody ever had a problem like that? Uh, just, just, man, it just comes on out. At good circumstances, bad circumstances, it can just come out. Our speech matters. Did you know that? The words we use, they matter. The things that come flowing out of us, it matters. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of the day. And, and they are so concerned about washing their hands before you eat that the person who forgets to wash their hands before they eat cannot be in proper covenant with God or love God. And Jesus says this to them, you brood of vipers, you pit of snakes, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. What comes out of your mouth reveals what is inside your heart. It reveals the true character of who you are. Matthew 15, Jesus once again says, but what comes out of the heart, mouth comes from the heart and this defiles a person. Luke 6.45, Jesus again, a good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil producing person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. And then the clue as to what you've got stored up for his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. The reason Paul tells the church there and tells us today and the Holy Spirit is commanding us to watch what we speak, to, to speak good things, is because out of a, a, our heart is where what we speak comes, and it reveals who we really are. Shelley's grandfather, great old Cajun man, and, and he, uh, well, you, you know, what, 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 what's in the well is what comes up in the bucket. And, and that what's in the well of your heart when the bucket of your mouth comes up out and flows out, it reveals what was in the well. 
And so it's important for us to, to, to be aware of how we speak. And, and where does right speech begin? It begins with a renewed heart. And where does a renewed heart come from? Faith in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior and, and, and submitting to him as king and a filling of the Holy Spirit that comes in salvation. And he begins to change you from the inside out. And if you are genuinely saved, what's in the well should change over time. How do you know? Well, let's draw up the bucket, listen to the words you speak, and see what comes out. And so, when we're talking about evangelism, we're talking about right living and outside faith, our speech matters. Let your speech always be gracious. Gracious means full of grace, full of the gifts that God has blessed you with and that he wishes to pour out on others. Let your speech always be gracious. And then he says this, seasoned with salt. And you might wonder, how do you season your speech with salt? And it's not you take a shaker and as you're talking, you know, it's, it, it doesn't work that way. This is actually, it, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. And it's actually one that was, was all over the culture of the first century. And, and many Greek speakers understood it, would have understood exactly what Paul was saying that, and, and really this seasoning your speech with salt is to have speech that is joyful and witty and savory, scintillating. Do you guys know what scintillating means? Shiny. <laughs> to, to be scintillating is to be shiny, it's to be bright, it's to be beautiful, pure, and penetrating. That we should be so concerned about how we speak to outsiders that, that we First, seek to have pure hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, but then also work to talk in a way that's meaningful, to, to say words that are beautiful and right and just and holy, to communicate in a way that's, that's well, acceptable to people in such a way that they're like, yeah, tell me more. Speak more. I like your words. You talk pretty. Right? That, 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 that the gospel coming out of us should be bright and cheerful and life-changing. Jesus, in Matthew 5.13, he, he says it this way. He says, you, not just your speech, but you yourself, you're the salt of the earth. You should be scintillating. You should be pure. You should be gracious. You should be witty and savory and life-giving and joyful. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And so we seek to have speech that is gracious and salty and seasoned well. And here's why. So that you may know how you should answer each person. Because every person has questions about this life that we've been called to as Christians. And the goal is to answer their questions, not to answer the questions they're not asking. Why, why do I feel empty and without purpose? Well, vote Republican. Yeah, no. That's not the question they're asking. The, the question they're asking is, who am I and why am I here? And we want to give them an answer to a question they're not even asking, so let's answer the questions they're asking. First, we want to serve and, and, and seek to, while we understand that it is the Holy Spirit who does the final work, we are called to convince people to be in the act of, of trying to tell people the answers to the questions that they're actually asking. 
Acts chapter 17 has two different circumstances where the Apostle Paul is preaching. The first is in the synagogue. And, and it says that he went into the synagogue and he began to share with them from the Old Testament just like he did everywhere he went. So he had a practice of going into the Jewish synagogues, opening the Old Testament, and showing them Jesus in the Old Testament. He was seeking to convince them right where they were, not teach them some new crazy truth, and, and not to add to something, but to say, here's where you're at, let's start there, and then I'll tell you about Jesus. And then Acts chapter 17 tells a completely different story. He goes in Athens to a place called Mars Hill, the Areopagus, and he goes in there, and it's full of philosophers who are Greek philosophers, not, not Jewish, but they, they have all these different gods and all these different philosophies. And Paul is walking through there, and there are statues to gods everywhere. And then he notices there's a statue to the unknown god. And, and they were so serious about trying to honor every god that they, they added a, a, a platform, a podium to the unknown god just in case they had missed one. Right? They, they, their philosophy was such that they wanted to be, be right on everything, so let's make sure we add even just a blank slate in case we can figure out one other God to add to this. And Paul says to them, I see that you want to please the gods. I see that you have a, a, a podium to the unknown God. And let me tell you, I actually know who the unknown God is. And he is the great God who is over all other gods. He is the one who created us. He is the one who sustains us. He is Christ Jesus who rose from the dead. And so he starts with the Jewish people by going to the Old Testament and saying, here's Jesus. He starts with the Greek philosophers by going to their philosophy and saying, in your philosophy, here's Jesus. He wants to convince everyone. But we're also called to defend our faith. To stand up and give people answers that they need, even if they don't necessarily want them. In 1 Timothy 6, 20-21, Paul tells Timothy, Guard what, you, what has been entrusted to you, avoiding irreverent and empty speech and contradictions from what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some people have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. He says, defend what's right. Defend the truth. Stand up for the gospel. In 2 Timothy, he's told, Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Guard your faith. Guard Christianity against the assaults of the world around us. Also, he, Peter says it in a similar way. He says, In your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, we shouldn't be ready to go to blows at all times, but we should be ready to, to stand firmly upon our faith. Why are you a Christian? Can you answer that? I mean, it's, it's a good thing, right, to be a believer. We, we, we want to preach the gospel. We want to be saved. But, but really, why are you a Christian? Can you defend your faith? What, why do you believe in the Trinity? Why do you think Jesus is the Son of God? What, why? Why is that wrong? Why is that right? Can you answer any of those questions? Or are you just happily going through life going, yeah, I, I believe, it's cool. You're going to have friends that are going to have questions, and you need to learn. You need to grow. You need to be ready to defend. Jude, in verse 3, not chapter 3, 
Jude is one chapter. Go to, go to the book of Jude. It's a cool one. It will confuse you. Uh, but it also has some really good snippets in there. Jude 3, dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, Jude says, I wanted to just write a nice letter about salvation and say, isn't it great to be saved? I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith. Fight for Christianity. Fight for truth. Fight for right doctrine that was delivered to the saints once for all. Brothers and sisters, here's, here's the thing. is We are supposed to be, Colossians 4, 6, we are supposed to know how we should answer each person. And some people need us to be where they are, start where they're at, and show them Jesus from where they are. And some people, they literally will need us, though, to defend Christianity, to tell them, you're wrong, you have bought into a lie, here is the truth. And we need to be willing to do both and yet still be always gracious and seasoned with salt, whether we are convincing or defending. But ultimately, we are responsible to share and give answer for the gospel. Each and every one of us should be ready and willing and looking for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And each of us should be ready and willing to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ and why we know it is the one truth. And, and you might go, oh, well, how do I, how? that's kind of scary. Look, I got to tell you, come to Sunday school. Attend a Bible study. Come to me and say, can we do coffee? I got some big questions. And I might say, yes, we can. It'll need to be decaf, and I don't do sugar. And I get jumpy. Others in here who can help to shape your faith, good teachers and leaders, so that you can give an answer even as you're ready to share the gospel. But we also understand that no matter how hard we beat somebody with a Bible, that will not make them get saved until such a time as God brings them to salvation and gives the harvest. We will play the role of planting the seed of the gospel. We will play the role of watering the gospel through a right defense of it. But ultimately, it was God and God alone who will give the increase. So as we're talking about sharing the gospel, the things that this verse, this passage tells us to be doing, number one, pray. Pray for open doors to share the gospel. Pray. Pray for missionaries in other countries who are seeking open doors to share the gospel. Pray for other believers in this church. How many... How many of you guys today, if, if given an opportunity, know of someone that you would like to share the gospel with? Anybody? Okay, so there's like two. Uh, no, there's a number of us. I mean, look around. Look at the hands that are up. Pray for the people who's raised, who've raised their hands that, that God would open the door for them to share the gospel. Pray that, that there would be opportunity. Pray. Remember last week, we, we might struggle with prayer. We might wonder, well, if God's in control, why do I pray? Because he wants to use our prayers as tools to achieve his will. We are called to pray, and our prayers matter. So number one step in sharing the gospel, pray. Number two, understand your responsibility. This is a question. If you are a Christian, I want you to, to raise your hand if you think it's your responsibility to share the gospel. Anybody? Yeah. It is your responsibility to share the gospel. There are no exemptions in scripture. There's not like this verse in here. Uh, thou art called to share the gospel unless thine art uncomfortable. 
right? It's not in there. Or I don't really know anybody. Or they might like, not like me as much. No, you have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to share the gospel. But we're also in sharing the gospel, praying, understanding our responsibility. We have to make daily choices to live with godly wisdom and gospel wisdom. And what does that mean? To, to live in light of who we are in Christ. If you go to someone and say, you need to trust Jesus, he'll change your life. And they look at you and go, but you're no different from me. Why would I want to trust Jesus? Yipe. By our very lifestyle, we can negate the, the truth that we're trying to share. Which is why we're called to live with gospel wisdom. We want to prove the truth of our message by living it out first in our own life. Speak graciously and well. In other words, learn how to be gentle in what you say, even as you're firm on the truth. Learn how to say things clearly. All of us should not necessarily be public speakers, but we should be willing to speak in public about the goodness of our Savior. And things like, um, like, and you know, those should be the first things you work on getting rid of. But then to have a clear, straightforward means by which you are ready to share the gospel. Whatever tool or technique you use, and I've, I've given you guys a few in the years that I've been here. We've got the diamonds. We, 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 we've got opportunities to share your, your uh, testimony. That, that Speak graciously and speak well. Be ready to give good answers. If someone were to ask you, why do you believe as a Christian that marriage is defined a specific way? Why do you believe that we need a Savior? Why do you believe that, that, that this, this world is sin-tainted and broken? Why do you believe what you believe? You've got to be ready to give good answers. Do you know how you give good answers? You have to be willing to read, to ask questions, and to learn. To read, to ask questions, and to learn. That's how you give good answers, ultimately. The best teachers are the ones who learned well. And if you have friends and relatives and you have people you care about who have these deep and, and difficult questions about the gospel and about God, the answer isn't, maybe you should like Google it. But you find the answer and you bring it to them and you show them the truth and you guide them in the way of knowledge. Be ready at all times to give an answer. Be ready to know how to answer each person in the questions that they ask. And so as we are sharing the gospel, we understand we're, we're living this life of internal, constant prayer and trusting God for his hand. And then we live it out by sharing that good news and inviting others to walk in it with us. And so these, these few verses take us to this, this life of inside, outside faith. This life of internal dialogue with God and constant connection with Him and then living it out in the world around us. And that, brothers and sisters, is what we are called to as believers. That is, is how we are supposed to be living. All of these verses are, are commands. They're strong. They are do this, not do it if you want. And we also... 
we got to be doing and encouraging one another and praying for one another and pushing one another a little bit to live this inside, outside faith more faithfully. So I want you to think about this week. I want you to think about the people in your life. I want you to think about applying this passage as you walk out the door today. And start, let's start with just this first one. Let's start with right now. I want to encourage you to pray. To pray for God to open a door for you to have an opportunity to share the gospel with that one person that's on your heart right now. Even as you understand your wisdom, or your responsibility, even as you understand how you're supposed to be living, even as you understand working on how to speak to them, even as you prepare yourself to good answers, we must begin by praying for those people that we would like to have God open the door for us to share the good news with. So, let's pray together. Everyone, bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just want you to take a moment. Take a moment and pray for that one person that you would ask God to open a door for you to share the gospel with them. And then take some, some moments and, and listen to God's conviction, his prompting about what you need to do in preparation for that open door. And then continue to pray and then be faithful to do that which he lays on your heart to prepare you for the open door. Heavenly Father, right now we lift up to you one person on our hearts. We pray that there would be an open door to share the mystery of your son Jesus with them because we know it's no longer mysterious. You've given us all the truth we need for salvation. You've given us a clear understanding of that good news and so help us to share it. Open the door and give us the strength to step through it and share. May our words be such that they are full of grace. May our hearts be overflowing with love for you, Lord Jesus. And help us to give answer to the questions that they carry with them. Give us the strength to walk in wisdom, to live wisely, to live like you, Jesus, so that when the door opens, our words have meaning and weight. That we would not fall prey to the, the cry of hypocrite and liar, but instead that we would genuinely be truly saved and changed by your good news. Use us, Lord Jesus.
Help us to do as we should. In your name we pray this morning.